Hello, I'm Alexia, and let me help you to take the fear out of birth with a mix of real-life positive birth stories and birthing experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing techniques for getting into the fearless birthing mindset. And join the Fearless Mumship community for bonus podcast episodes, access to free birth preparation downloads, and loads more stuff to help you to prepare for a positive birth. Join today at fearfreechildbirth.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leach, and thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on today's show, I'm going to be talking about birth, antenatal classes, a little bit more of a rant, but not too much, and also talking about a new birth book that's come out today as well. Today, I'm going to be joined by Beverly Turner. Now, Beverly Turner is a radio presenter here in the UK with her own show on LBC in London, and she's also a journalist. And I first came across Beverly when I went to the IMUK conference here in the UK, which is the Independent Midwifery Conference. And I heard her talking about her childbirth education classes that she that she runs out of her, out of a pub in London, actually. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to get her on the podcast because childbirth education is such an important part of the pregnancy journey and not enough women invest in that whole education piece. And I think it's an absolute travesty that we absolutely need to invest in education. We should be educated about birth anyway, and we're not. And unfortunately, that means we've got to step up and be proactive during our pregnancies and learn about birth. So finding decent classes, decent places to learn about birth that aren't biased in any direction, that that really help you to prepare in not just understanding the facts, but also doing the emotional preparation as well. That is really what creates really great antenatal classes or childbirth education. Now, if you think back to one of the first episodes in this series, when I spoke to Hannah Darlin and Kate Levitt, they did a brilliant piece of research recently talking about childbirth education and what makes good childbirth education. And one thing that Bev talks about during the chat that I have with her in today's episode is that her antenatal classes that are done in London do tick all the boxes that are mentioned by Hannah Darlin and Kate Levitt in their research. So this is a really, really great episode to listen to if you want to really get more of an understanding of what to look for when it comes to you choosing your childbirth education classes, whether they're online or in person, wherever you may choose to do them. So certainly a great episode to look out for. Now, before I do hand over to that chat, I've got a little bit, a couple of things to share with you. First of all, I just want to say, come and join us in the Facebook group. We've got lots of chats going on in there, lots of really great resources being shared. Somebody shared a really great breathing meditation to help you to stay calm and relaxed this week that was loved by the mamas in the Facebook group. And also, because I'm being completely overwhelmed by all the emails I get from you guys, I literally cannot keep on top of it. The best place to get in touch with me is inside the Facebook group. So if you want to find the Facebook group, then you can come and find us on Facebook. If you just go to the Facebook page, the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook page, there's a banner at the top. You just click the link and you'll get the link straight over to the Facebook group. That's just to make it super easy for you. So yep, come and find us in the Facebook group. It's a really lovely supportive environment. There are loads of birth professionals in there that are more than happy to answer your questions, offer advice and just give you a shoulder to cry if that's what you need but also lots of mamas in there who have had positive birth stories that are more than happy to share their experiences too. So come and join the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group. And this is where I'll be able to help and support you on your journey. And it's also where I'll be sharing some stuff first. Um, 
as well. So yeah, come and join us inside the Facebook group. Okay, now back to today's chat. I'm going to be chatting to Beverly Turner. As I mentioned, she's brought out her new book, The Happy Birth Book, that's out today. Well, out this week, actually, and it's already hit number one in the Amazon bestseller chart. So I'm thrilled that I'm chatting to a bestselling author, which is brilliant. So this is a time that I spoke to Bev Turner all about birth and childbirth education and lots more, actually, lots more. So if you're into birth, this is an absolute treat. Welcome, Bev, to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's brilliant. I'm so pleased to have you on. Now, there's so much we're going to talk about, all birth stuff. So before we kick off, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to my listeners, because I'm sure some of the people listening, certainly in the US, probably haven't heard of you in the way that the UK listeners will have done. So go How for could it. you suggest? Oh, I'm sorry. Them. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I would be surprised if anybody knew who I was. Um, here in the UK, I host uh, a radio show on LBC, which is Current Affairs Talk Chat Phone In Show. Um, and I'm a columnist, uh, telegraph uh, journalist, and I write for a few news- newspapers. And I run an antenatal course in London. So, you know, birth preparation sessions with couples. And so I've combined recently my two passions of birth and writing and have written The Happy Birth Book, your trusted A to Z of pregnancy, birth and the early weeks. And and as we're speaking, this is the book came out this week, and you've just told me that it's gone right into number one on Amazon, which is yeah, which is brilliant. Amazing. I can't quite believe that. So yeah, that's really that's really cool. It's only downhill from now on, is all I can say. <laughs> we have nowhere else to go. That's it. It'll be number one for a week, and then it'll be down to number five thousand, and no one will ever hear from it again. Well, I, I, I'm thrilled because it means I'm talking to yet another best-selling author. So this is this works well for me. So congratulations. <laughs> um, now, what I want to know is, which I'm sure a lot of my listeners are going to want to know, is why why did you suddenly, what, what made you start focusing your attention on birth? What is it about birth that got your attention, that got you interested? Such a, it's such an interesting concept. And I get asked that all the time. And it's something I spend quite a lot of time considering myself. And I think it's comes from really having a, a kind of backdrop of having quite a feminist outlook on the world. So anything that affects women always draws my attention. It affects women specifically, I'm, I'm very interested in and how the world operates for women. When I had my first birth, I had a really good experience, a very straightforward, a very life-affirming experience. And even though it was hard work, as first births normally are, I had had a good birth and I was surrounded surrounded by women who were talking as though they'd been to a war zone and back and could barely articulate the horrors that they'd seen and over the years then I spent 10 years really considering what had made my birth so good when everyone else's was so bad and it was so obvious to me that there are all sorts of factors in play and that actually if you know about those factors and you can prepare yourself in many different ways as possible actually you can have a happy birth you can have a great birth it should be a it should be the best day of your life. It's not something that should be feared. And so I'd written about this wherever I could in, in the national press, not that they let you very often because they'd much rather have a story about a, a terrible birth than a happy one. Um, and I'd obviously talked about it a bit in the media when I, ca- I could. And then I set up the course in Chiswick, having met all sorts of experts over the years. I'd, I'd retrained as a, a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, and I brought together this course of some of the best minds in this area in the world there's no doubt about it professor donald gibb obstetrician pam wild the midwife with whom i've written the book great obst- uh, physiotherapist osteopath great nutritionist women's health experts 
and brought them all together in a, in a kind of dream team. So we have spent three years now helping couples prepare for birth. I don't like to say teaching. I don't like to say coaching. I've not really found the right language to describe what it is that we do. But I suppose we, we just facilitate their decision making in, in their journey. We tell them what all their options are. We discuss it. We get them to consider what would suit them best and to understand the language around what's going to happen to them in birth. And so it's just, it should be the best day of your life. And sadly, it so rarely is. And that's what I think drives me. Mm. And what is it that you did? Just thinking about your first birth, did you know what you, I mean, did you, was it a fluke? Did you, did you work towards your first birth? Why was, why do you think your first birth was so positive? Well, I think I was totally it to be honest I was absolutely terrified as most women are and it just seemed lunacy to me not to prepare as well as I possibly could because I was frightened um I knew I didn't want to be in a hospital I don't really know why I just thought well I'm not ill and hospitals aren't places to go unless there's something wrong with you there's nothing wrong with me I knew I wanted to have medical support around me if possible I knew I wanted midwifery care rather than private obstetric care that felt instinctively right for me and I came across the, the birth center which is Professor Caroline Flint's um, initiation it's her, her business and it was such a revelation we had one-to-one -one care with midwives that we got to know one of whom was Pam Wild and were, I was just really nicely looked after and treated kindly with respect and dignity and you know so had had a, a straightforward birth with Croyd I made sure that I was physically fit and well I got I did some hypnobirthing because I knew that the most most important thing was going to be whether I could keep a, a lid on my fear I suppose in that situation whether I could be calm in the eye of the storm so I needed some relaxation techniques hypnobirthing made a huge difference for me in that first birth there's no way I could have had a, a natural birth without it I would have completely lost my mind I think um, and I used the pool um, in the birth center and yeah and then you know there he was healthy little boy came out like Superman with his hand up around his head um, yeah. um, he came out promptly weed all over Professor Caroline Flynn and I was apologising for him which pretty much set the tone for the rest of motherhood if you're apologising for your son within the first 30 seconds of him being born um, and uh, and yeah just, just, just learnt a lot from it learnt a huge amount from that experience about what it put into place for me feeling safe feeling ready, feeling supported, feeling psychologically well meant that I had the resilience to go into birth and then recover really well because that's one of the reasons you want women to have great births is so that they bounce back. And I don't mean getting into their skinny jeans, but I mean in a sort of celebrity sidebar way. I mean that they are well and feeling as good as you can and um, can start motherhood feeling confident and believe, believing in themselves and being amazed by what their bodies can do. Yeah, because that positive birth really can just, you can kind of draw so much strength and courage and confidence from that birth experience and just kind of spread it out of the rest of your life, can't you? And if you, if you don't have that birth experience, it just makes it so much more difficult. I think so. I mean, there are obviously, there, is, there are women who have traumatic births, who, who do get a sort of strength from that, I suppose. But I think it must be a much higher mountain to climb I would say mm -hmm. and we know that women who have tough births often are more well we know they're more likely statistically to have postnatal depression to feel detached from their babies um 
to feel that somehow their body failed them, which is partly about the language you use around birth. I mean, if you, you know, if your labor is slow and we use the phrase, you're failing to progress. I mean, it's no wonder, is it, that we demoralize women mm. in birth. And I always say I've never failed. I've never met a woman who failed to give birth, but I've met a lot of women who have been failed by the system that they're in when they're on their way to giving birth. Um, so it was a definite confidence building exercise for me. I would say number two, actually, baby number two was more than number one. Number one, I felt, like I say, it was incredibly hard work and I just couldn't believe I'd, I'd been through that and I was terrified to do it again. But then when, when I did have number two and that was an amazing birth, that was at home in the sunshine, walking down the garden, using the pool on Mother's Day. She was out mm-hmm sort of midday and it was just brilliant family round within a few moments you know it was it was amazing that was that was when I went okay now I understand what all this is about because boy that was heaven I'd do that again tomorrow if I didn't have to raise the damn kids I'd do that again in a heartbeat I would I would yeah it's the pregnancy that like my second pregnancy killed me it's the birth I'd do it again tomorrow but yeah pregnancy was exhausting just exhausting um now i want to go back to just the childbirth education piece because i think there's a real distinct lack of decent education and i'm just curious as to what you what are you teaching in your classes that you think kind of makes the difference what's the kind of not the magic ingredient or the secret sauce but what is it that you think that is making the difference for the families that go through your classes um we do a broad spectrum of education and in fact I was fascinated by the podcast that you did with Hannah Darlan mm. who was talking about their research in Australia into they did these week- weekend antenatal courses didn't they and I was listening to that and actually everything that they did we do so we do a um, hypnobirthing session we do a aromatherapy session so we have some you know practical skills we do um, theoretically we go over labor a lot we talk about the physiology so that they understand what the pain is, that it's not to be feared. Mm-hmm. I think when you have discomfort in labor, as long as you understand what it is, I think that mitigates the fear and it actually mitigates the pain to, to some extent, ironically, if you just understand what it is. If you think about it more like a, 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 a the pain of your muscles if you're doing a sporting event, you know, if you're running a marathon, the lactic acid, if you think about it like that, you can work with it mm-hmm. rather than be frightened of those sensations. So we talk a lot about that. The dads are really involved and that's really important mm. to me. So women are not going into that birth room worrying about their partners not knowing what's going on because I think that has a huge detrimental effect. Our couples go into the birth room with the dads fully informed, fully briefed. They have a list of jobs and men like a list of jobs. <laughs> they know that there's things to do and things not to do. And, and they get the space to discuss amongst in a safe environment amongst us what they do and don't want their partners to do. So, for instance, we uh, they do a list of, of the what they expect from their partners under the heading of emotional and physical and practical, and both the men and the women do this, of what they think they can provide and what they want to receive. And then I ask them, all the women on the spot, what's the one thing you do not want your partners to do? And do you know what? Nine to, what do you reckon? Nine to go on, Alexia, have a guess. Nine times out of ten, what do you think it is that the women don't want their partners to do? Uh, uh, for me it'd be fuss over them but I don't know is that what they say I don't know I'd hate somebody to fuss over me no they say do not look at your phone oh really yeah (laughs) do not look at your phone and of course what they're saying by that is be present Mm. 
be with me. Look in my eyes. Don't look at the football scores. Don't be looking to see what your mates are doing on Facebook. Be with me. Be present. I need you. And once the men understand it in that way, then they, they respond to that. They don't feel like they're just being bossed around. Yeah. They understand. And it makes them feel needed. And, you know, it's important that we make blokes understand that they they didn't just make this baby, that really they should be involved in raising it too. As soon as we get that message across, the whole world starts to change before our very eyes. Um, and I think from what I'm seeing, it's, I'm, I'm really encouraged by how involved the dads are. That was so important to me on the course. Mm. I know well, you've, you said that your classes are in a pub and you said that when we chatted before, you said that some of the dads come even when the mums can't come to class, which is amazing. Having antenatal classes in a pub, I believe, makes a huge it's difference. Inspired choice. Inspired choice. <laughs> we, have a, we have a lovely um, private room and looks out onto the river and it's really beautiful and, and the dads are very relaxed and we work hard, Pam and I and whoever else is there, to make sure that the dads know that it's a relaxed environment and they're not going to be judged and... They can, there is no question we have not heard. You know, there is no question too stupid. We can answer anything. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we do. Occasionally we'll have the dads rock up and they say, I'm really sorry, you know, um, Tina's stuck at work. Is it okay if I'm here? She's going to be late back. She's not going to make it. I'll take the notes. I'll tell her what we've talked about. It's, that, for me, is mm-hmm. the most glowing endorsement of what we do because it moves this whole area away from being something that is just about women, looking after women, and we get the dads involved. And as I say, I think this changes societally. If we get fathers involved more, will be profound. Mm, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And I think getting yeah, getting dads involved and helping them to understand that they have such a crucial role to play, that they can make such a difference to how the woman is feeling, how safe she feels, how loved she feels. They can really encourage her. And, yeah. and getting dads to sort of step up to that and not feel like a useless spare part. Well, is, it's little is, things like... Yeah. It's so true. It's little things like, um, you know, we know that some research that Birthrights did, the charity Birthrights did, that 20% of medical practitioners, and I think that's conservative, to be honest, are not giving their name when they walk into the room. And when in life is it okay for somebody to walk into a room and look at your vagina and not give you their name at the very least? It's not acceptable. And yet we're, we're, we're seeing that commonly. And you know, so when women complain about birth, they don't complain about the pain of a bad birth. They say, nobody listened to me. I was dehumanized, which is the most disturbing word when you should be at your most human. They, they didn't respect me. They didn't listen to me. They didn't know my name. You know, and actually, if, if the dads look out for this, so that if a doctor or a midwife, midwives tend not to do it quite as badly as some of the doctors. I understand the doctors are busy. I get that. But still, there is, there, you always have time for manners. If the doctor walks into the room and says, uh, and starts to look at the monitor or look at the notes, or God forbid, look at your vagina, that is when dads say, "Oh hi, I am I am James. This is my wife Bev." And then suddenly the doctor clicks into being a human being. You're not just another list on their rotor for that day, you know. So those kind of things, dads make a big difference. It's not about presuming. They, that the staff are going to be rude, but you have to watch out for situations in which you can ease the atmosphere for your for your partner when she's giving birth, so that she doesn't have to worry about it. I mean, when you're naked and having a baby, for me, that's no time for polite conversation. You know, I'm not suggesting that, but actually, just a little bit of courtesy, and that's where dads can come in because they can change the mood in the room. The mood in the birth room is absolutely critical. 
Now, one thing you talked about when your birth is that you had midwifery support. You sought out to have an independent midwife. And um, I did hear you speak. I just want to touch on the situation that's hitting the UK at the moment with regards to independent midwives. And if you've been listening to the podcast last week, we did have a bit of a call to cry for getting some a bit of demonstration to support the independent midwives here in the UK. And you, well, you interviewed Jackie Smith, didn't you, head of the Nursing and Midwifery Council on your show. And she, I, I was very disappointed in all the responses. She didn't even know what an independent midwife was. Um, and I just want, if you could just sort of reiterate your understanding of what's going on here in the UK, in case, in case anybody listening hasn't heard what I've been banging on about for the last few weeks on my podcast. Well, obviously, independent midwives are the gold standard of care, as our former Prime Minister David Cameron described them. They provide one-to-one care. They are women with the most remarkable skills. They have instincts. They have experience. They have training. They are incredible self-employed women who offer care for those who might not normally within the one-size-fits-all system of the NHS be allowed in inverted commas to have certain things. So, for instance... There might be medical conditions which would preclude you from having a home birth under the NHS. Independent midwives will take those cases on because they're confident and they know that they can they can manage women who might have situations which have stopped them birthing in the way that they want. And similarly, women who've had really traumatic first births and don't want to go back into hospital for that very reason do not want to be treated by a stranger. Women who have had sexual abuse, rape victims, those women should not be going into hospital and being treated at their most vulnerable by someone they've never met before. Independent midwives offer that service. At least they did until very, very recently. We've got issues in this country around um, insurance, indemnity insurance for private practitioners of all sorts of uh, professions. And one of them is midwifery. And sadly, because the cost of, in, of, of insurance for against problems occurring in obstetrics are measured as a whole with all obstetric units in the country and all midwifery units in the country. Independent midwives are lumped in together with those statistics. Independent midwives have never had a catastrophic claim in 25 years and yet their premiums, because they're lumped in with the rest of the NHS, are so high that it's completely prohibitive for them to work. These women do not make pots of money. They are not driving around in Mercedes. They really are not. Uh, it costs about £3,000 to £4,000 to have an independent midwife for 10 months of care. It can cost one night in a private hospital here to have a baby. It can cost you £25,000. So anybody who tells me they are a luxury option, I have a big problem with, and I will tell them till I'm blue in the face why that's bollocks and we should be fighting for independent midwives and sadly the nursing and midwifery council have just dismissed their demands it's gone in the courts at the moment from what i understand there is a legal process in place to try to somehow change the um the the system so that they can carry on practicing at the moment they can provide antenatal checks and some postnatal care but they can't deliver babies at home. So women who had booked them and expected to give birth any minute now at home or even, you know, accompanied to birth centres can no longer do so. And it's a total witch hunt. And it starts with independent midwives, and I promise you it will extend to all midwives. This is why it's a bigger issue, because we'll get to the point where there are no midwives, that we literally will have medical births conducted by doctors. But then similarly, it's also becoming prohibitive for doctors. I was talking to one private obstetrician the other day who, whether he catches one baby 
or 100 babies in a year, his premium, his insurance premium to practice was £120,000. Wow. So he's had to retire. He's been forced into early retirement because he said, I would, I would love to still practice. I st- he's, he's not old. He's 60-ish. He said, I'd love to still carry on working. I would like to catch maybe, you know, a few babies, 10 babies a year. But what, what, what can I do? He's like, I, I'm not going to make any money doing that. I, I, I can't work for nothing. So for him, he'd rather just retire because he can't lay out £120,000 at the start of the year and expect to recoup that and then make some sort of living. Well, I I can't believe with this issue, it's such a big issue that's affecting the the ripple effect. Where this is going is so huge for women and families that I cannot believe that this is not being talked about in mainstream media. So somebody who is in mainstream media as part of that, have you got any insights to why we're not hearing more about this here in the UK? Why is this such a, a secret issue? I have tried, I have tried, I have tried. I honestly, the editors that I write for, the TV companies that I work for, the radio stations that I work for, what they tell me, Alexia, is, well, it doesn't really affect people, does it? It affects such a small number. This is only a small number of midwives. I mean, we're talking about 200, 250 midwives. This is, but that's, if those women look after 10 families a year, that's two and a half thousand families starting life in a way that they didn't want to. So I don't think that number is insignificant at all. And frankly, I don't care if one woman wants to give birth that way. I would fight for that one woman to have the right to a midwife that she knows. I think it's absolutely abhorrent. And I I just get told it's very niche. Nobody cares. Um, Sadly, there aren't enough mothers who had great births in positions of power in the media. If there were, they would understand why this is important. So you either have no mothers in positions of power. They're all men who don't care because they they don't really, it's not really, it's women's stuff, isn't it? They don't think it's relevant. Or they weren't at the birth of their children because they're sort of a slightly older generation maybe. Um, Or you have, sometimes there are women in these positions who've had really shitty births and don't want women to have good births. And they're they're kind of offended by the idea that it could be different. And I understand that if it has been hard, it it can be difficult to consider that the worst day of your life for some women could have been different. I understand that's hard to, to grapple with. But sadly, you know, the women who are making the decisions about what the headline's gonna be, if they've had a bad birth themselves, they're much more likely to choose a headline that says a baby died in a home birth than that says, we need to fight for independent midwives so that we can keep home births. What do you think we can do then to try and show them that actually more people care, that this isn't such a, a minority issue that, that is perceived to be? Is there anything from your perspective that you think that we could be doing more of as a list, to my listeners, to mothers listening, to say, hey, actually, we do care about this? Because it frightens me to think that my daughters are going to have less choice around birth than I had. And they're only two and six, you know, like such a recent thing. And it's, it's going downhill. I think um, what you're doing, literally broadcasting from your house and setting up, we have so many ways of doing our own online media now, is brilliant. Getting the, getting the message out there on any individual platforms that we might have. Um, writing and speaking to our politicians and our MPs about this. You know, we have an election in 40 days here in the UK. Anything that you think, anything that a politician thinks is going to get them some votes, 
would be on their radar right now. So get in touch with your local MPs and tell them this is what you want them to make a priority. I think IM UK, the Independent Midwives UK, have a fundraising page at the moment where they're trying to raise money to fight this legal case. And I'm sure uh, off the top of my head, I'm afraid I don't know the website, but you can Google IM UK and I'm sure there will be a link to how to help fund them. Um, and it's just about talking to other women and talking to pregnant women and asking midwives, why don't I at the, the hospital, can I have a midwife that I know? Do you have that facility? If you don't have that facility, why don't you have that facility? Um, vote for the political party in this election that you think might give more priority to women's care on the NHS. We have to start mobilising on this. I mean, you know, it, it's so important. On International Mid Day of Midwife on the 5th of May, I'm going to be down at the NMC uh, doing a little rallying cry to some of the protesters who are going to be there that day. I don't know how useful that sort of thing is. If I'm asked to do it by the midwives, I will absolutely be there with my placard because I'll do anything they ask of me, frankly, um, because I think they're incredible and they need as much support as they, as they can possibly get. But anything that raises awareness of this issue and don't, we, we, we all have to stop being dismissive of birth as something that doesn't matter because while while it's just seen as something that you do and you know you just have to get through it, it's like you just something you just got to survive and come out the other end and then you get on with the job of being a mother we have to start understanding that all that matters is not a healthy baby it is about having a, a happy birth and having coming out the other side with a smile on your face and and that women don't leave those stories behind them you know we don't celebrate women enough for doing this. I was talking to a woman this morning, actually, who I'd, I'd never met before, and she was saying that her children are uh, six and one. And she said, I remember when I'd had my daughter, the eldest one, and she said, I just, she'd had a, a natural, straightforward birth, and she said, I just went to the supermarket a couple of weeks later, and I was like looking around going, wow, like, you've, all these women have done this. Like, how can no one have told me how unbelievable it is? How amazing it is. She said, but I couldn't articulate that to anybody. I just had to fill my tr uh, shopping trolley and go and pay for my goods and come home. And she said, I just had this sense of like, far out. Women have been doing this for years and we're not routinely celebrated for it. And it is, it's yeah. the most natural and yet the most extraordinary thing that we do. It is, it is the most amazing thing. And when it, when it goes well, it's, an, it's something that's going to stay with that woman until she dies. It's such a powerful experience. I, I remember I went to, I've had a, a, a nurse appointment recently and I, I told her what I did. And she was like, oh, you help women to do birth. You know, she, and then she went, oh, let me tell you about my birth. And she went on and told me all about her birth. And her kids are 25. Yeah. And she remembered it so clearly. She was telling me all the detail. And it really struck me in that moment that this is an event that we absolutely have to protect. We absolutely have to work towards helping as many women as possible have that positive version of it because they are literally going to have this till they die and to be reminded of a negative experience every year on the kid's birthday instead of an incredible yeah. this is why I do what I do because I just want more women to have those kind of experiences because it's so important I love telling my birth stories to my children you know when you they want to go to bed at night and they tell me a story mum and you think oh, I'm not going to read that bloody book again for the <laughs> thousands of time and you try to make one up and I can't really particularly I, I can write a book but I can't make up a story off the top of my head they're always completely rubbish and involve like talking cats or something they never have a beginning a middle and end they're just dreadful but so I, I kind of resorted to telling them their birth stories 
and now they love it as oh, wow. you know and, and to be able to say to them oh it was the best day when you came into my life was just the most amazing thing and that makes you so special and I just think kids love that kids yeah, respond yeah. to that you're not lying to them and they know if you're lying to them you know so they just oh, tell me what happened when I was born you know tell me what happened what was it like in the water was I in the water yeah you were and you know and that's that's a total joy. Imagine if every mother was able to tell their child, when, when I gave birth to you, was, that was the best day of my life. You know, the number of, I mean, like I say, I have some stressful days with them now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not romanticizing parenthood. Parenthood is generally bloody awful. Um, but the actual births <laughs> were, were really, really nice. Um, and I think it would make a great, a big difference. I'm not sure, you know, if they've been awful days, how would I tell my children about that? It would affect it would affect how I felt about the child. I'm sure it would. Yeah. Sure it would. Somewhere deep down, you would. How can you not be resentful if they've caused you agony and distress? Not that they've caused you, but I imagine illogically, irrationally, emotionally, you would feel some sort of possibly animosity towards the child. I don't know. I don't know. That's. I, I think that's probably just me. I'm not sure how. I'm sure over the passage of time it would abate. Um, but I remember reading some stories of women who had postnatal depression who'd expressed exactly that, that they couldn't bond with their child because in some way they saw them as being responsible for this traumatic time, which makes perfect psychological sense, really, doesn't it? That mm-hmm. our minds are very good at protecting us from what we see as, as a threat. You know, and I imagine if you've had a terrible, terrible birth, you can there, there, might, there possibly may be a residual sense that the child's somehow responsible for that do you know what I mean I don't Mm -hmm. don't want to make it sound like women who don't have great births end up hating their kids that's not what I'm trying to say at all um but that uh you know I think it makes it much more difficult Mm. now about your book when I remember when I I, I read your book and I what I loved about your book is it's it felt like just like we're chatting now it it does feel like it's very uh no holds bars very no nonsense it's very much my style of um communicating anyway so i felt like it's like having a good friend in the book uh-huh. you know that's how it felt to me reading it tell me a little bit more about what you wanted to what you set out to do with that book when you, when you started doing it that's just the loveliest compliment alexia honestly thank you because that's exactly what i wanted it to be i just think writing should be exactly that accessible approachable easy you shouldn't feel like oh I've got to read this book you should just feel like you're sitting down for a chat with a a good mate um I wanted to sort of boss some of the myths around it um I wanted to normalize all sorts of births so that you can read that book and you will hopefully go away thinking that a home birth is an option that a birth center birth is an option that an epidural birth is an option just so you know what your choices are and that what is right for you as an individual that's what's absolutely paramount mm-hmm. um i think women should get the birth that they want i don't care whether that is a water birth or whether it is a planned cesarean section i'm a great believer in that we should be listening to women and they should be their views should be respected um i think that where possible we should all aim to have a natural delivery because just because we know it's safer for mother and baby and better recovery and it's as simple as that um but um i think i wanted the book to be well it's a to z format so that was really important that people could women could flick to it people could flick to, to whichever page they want if you have an appointment with your midwife and they mention it having your nuchal scan but you're not sure what that means don't go away and google it because you might come up with all sorts of horrible don't don't google do not google no. so you can go to the book um and just look up nuchal scan or you can go and look up um 
amniocentesis or um, induction or cesarean or epidural. So, you, could, you know, it's because we are very time poor, but we are hungry for knowledge. So that was important to me that it was in that particular format. Um, and, of course, there's a, there's a section specifically for dads. So if you can't get your partner to read a whole book, at least let him read a few page, pages of a book is better than nothing. Um, and I just wanted it to be uh, lighthearted. I wanted particularly those first six weeks to not be romanticized. You know that that it's all going to be sweetness and light, and you're just going to bond instantly with this baby, and doves are going to appear overhead. And yes, it can be amazing, and I hope it will be amazing. But it's also bloody hard work. All of it is hard work. The birth can be hard work. The be having a new baby is hard work. So just to kind of prepare women for that, it's not sentimental in any way. I mean, God, I talk about peeing my own pants because I was rushing around so much. You know, when I went through this stage where. I mean, I'm talking about telling women just to aim low in those first few weeks. And I remember when my son, or, or really in motherhood in general, but I think my son, I was potty training him at the time, so he was about two-ish. And I went to this stage where I kept thinking I, I was losing my pelvic floor, which had always been quite trampoline-friendly, actually, following birth. So I just thought, what's going wrong with me? And then one day I realised I was in such a hurry. Every time I was going to the loo, I wasn't pulling my pants down far enough. <laughs> so I was wheeling in the gusset of my own G-string. And it was such a revelation. I was teaching my son to potty train whilst peeing in my own pants. And I thought, you know, so I'm just telling women, look, do not try to be superhuman. I mean, aim really low. Like, aim just not to pee in your own pants. And probably, you're probably doing all right. (laughs) I love it. But sticking on the, the aim low thing... And just flipping that a bit, because one thing I heard you say, I think it's when I heard you speak at the IM UK, was how we are told as women to aim low when it comes to birth. And actually, yeah. that absolutely is not the right thing we should be doing, because we should, women are, are not stupid. They're not completely useless at handling themselves. So just t- talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of, if you could just rehash what you said at IM UK. That'd be yeah, isn't, isn't that interesting, actually, because you just made me realise, I, I was talking about parenting aim low. But I think that's because we have so many parenting blogs and Instagram accounts which look like these perfect lives with these idyllic children, you know, and nobody's stood on the, like, crushed cornflakes into the carpet that day, you know. So in terms of parenting, we have to recalibrate our expectations and not try and aim like that. But when it comes to birth, I think the opposite is true. And we have to aim really, really high because what we do at the moment is we say to women, oh, you know, Oh, just go to the hospital. Just let the doctors do it. Or, oh, you know, you might plan for this, but you don't know what's going to happen, do you? So just go with the flow. And, oh, fingers crossed, it'll be all right. And what we also say to women, don't get your expectations up, because if it goes wrong, you'll be so disappointed. I've heard that. I've heard that so many times from medical professionals who treat women with postnatal depression. And they say to me, I've heard it some of them, well, the trouble is, you know, she got her hopes up. And then it didn't go well. And really, women should not get their hopes up. <laughs> that drives me so mad. So I think, well, when else in life do we tell women that? Because as I say in the book, you do not say to your daughters, don't revise for your GCSEs. Because if they, if you don't do well, you'll be so disappointed. You know, don't try and, um, don't go out with that really fit guy that you met. Go out with the really boring, ugly one. Because really, if, if, if it breaks apart with the handsome guy, you're going to be so disappointed. Just settle with the ugly bloke you're not very keen on. We don't give women those messages. At wedding days, look at the, how we prepare for our wedding day with bridezillas, with you know, post-it notes all over the house, and we've organized everything. And yet when it comes to birth, we don't do that. And we should be doing it. We should be aiming high. 
you know, use your imagination, what would be perfect, and work hard to get it and be demanding of the system, be demanding of everybody around you so that it, you don't get that day back. And if it goes wrong, the worst things can go right. The most unimaginable things can go wrong if, if it does go wrong. So aim as high as you possibly can in, in every single way. And you know what? It might not go according to plan A. It might not. But actually, you'll probably be all right with the right support afterwards. And a doctor, frankly, who looks at you and says, well, if you didn't get your hopes up, you wouldn't be depressed, would you? is not giving that woman the support she wants. Frankly, if they're uttering that sentence, then you know that woman's not getting the right care. Being able to debrief what happened, being able to have proper sessions, working out exactly what the what happened in your birth so that you know what might happen next time with a medical profession professional who is hopefully detached from the situation and independent um, independent midwives are brilliant at that actually because then they truly are independent in every sense of the word they can look at your notes and work out what happened debrief 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 talk 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 that's the best way to get over a difficult birth not be told well as long if you if you hadn't got your hopes up in the first place you wouldn't be feeling like this would you mm-hmm. it's something i feel really strongly about yeah no you yeah. me both you me both and i'm sure we could rant about this for a good few hours but i know you're having a very busy day Bev, with all this uh, book stuff that you're doing so thank you for coming on the fearfully childbirth podcast and just talking birth stuff you know i just love that we could just sort of go in any direction it's absolutely fabulous is there anything else you just want to say before you go to any pregnant mamas listening who are preparing for birth that might be feeling a little bit fearful uh, any sort of passing advice I would say keep listening to your podcast because what you do is so important. I would say surround yourself with people who are like you. Find your tribe. Join your local antenatal class, whatever that is. Um, ask some questions of them. What kind of support do they offer you once you've done the course? Is it goodbye and then you go or do you stay in touch with them? Um, do you have support from their team whilst you're on that course? Uh, get yourself informed, but don't go Googling every five minutes. Um, ask around in your area for who's had good birth experiences, good birth stories. If people start to tell you bad ones, just put your fingers in your ears and say, la, 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 please don't tell me this. I'm going to have a baby in a few months. I really can't cope with this now. And just keep out all that negativity if you possibly can. Get your partners engaged. Get fit if you can. Get get physically, mentally, emotionally, practically prepared for birth. And you'll be fine. And it would be great. It might be the very best day of your life. You never know. It might well be. In fact, yeah, it might well be. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Bev talking about birth. Now, if you want to find out more about her classes that are run out of Chiswick, a Chiswick pub in London, then go to thehappybirthclub.co.uk and her book, The Happy Birth Book, is now available on Amazon. All links are in the podcast show notes and I hope to see you again next week. Bye for now. You've just been listening to me, Alexia Leachman, here on the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this is just a wee reminder that if you'd like to listen to bonus podcast episodes and have access to loads of birth preparation downloads, my video mini-series on reducing your fears and so much more, then join the Fearless Mamaship community today. You can join at fearfreechildbirth.com. Until next time, bye for now.